So this is the third week in our series, You Asked For It, where we're answering questions that you actually ask, uh, submitted, presented, and so we're walking through those each week. And uh, I just want to stop for a minute and tell you that it's been a special couple of weeks for me as I think about the life of the church. Uh, this is the, uh, we have just passed the mark of being the seventh anniversary of me becoming pastor here at First Baptist Goodlettsville, and that's been an exciting thing for me to think about, uh, seven years being pastor here, and uh, what many people don't know, and many of you uh, have come in those seven years, and so you weren't here seven years ago, some of you were, is that the first year that we were here was very difficult. We moved from Ripley, Tennessee, um, I had two kids at the time, Eli and Luke, and uh, I had a We moved to Middle Tennessee, and we're excited about that, but we also left some comforts behind. We were 20 minutes from my parents and 45 minutes from hers, and we moved here, and they they were none too happy about that, as you grandparents would understand. And so we were dealing with that. We got a third-floor apartment to start with when we moved here, and so we, we, some of you helped. In fact, I think two or three of the people that helped with that have since left the church. They probably... We probably wore them out on day one, but we moved into the third story uh, apartment and lived there for a little bit with our two boys, and um, and then stuff just started happening. A couple of uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about the Luke spilling some peas on his arm, and um, that wasn't a very huge, significant thing by itself. But it was one of two trips we made to the emergency room in the first six months of being here with Luke. Um, Two different accidents. We'd never been in the emergency room with anybody, and that was new for us. Susan's mom had been diagnosed with cancer before we came, but all the treatments and stuff seemed to be working and everything was going well. And then that fall, we got a call from them on a plane back from MD Anderson telling us that MD Anderson had basically told them that the cancer was back and there was nothing more they could do. That she was just coming home to relax and be comfortable. We found out we were pregnant during that time. Susan was pregnant in that fall. We were in the apartment as well. And we're excited about that, surprised by that, shocked by that, and then found out two weeks later that she had miscarried. We bought a house, which we were very excited about in January, but the problem was we had a house here then and a house in Ripley. You know how much I dislike making one house payment? Imagine two. Some of you say, imagine we have or we are. And then that spring following Easter, the Sunday following Easter, I got a phone call early in the morning from my sister-in-law. And my brother had had some sort of incident. And later we would discover it would last for three or four days. And he would end up being in a coma until the end of that summer. That's a rough year. Not to mention we were trying to navigate the waters that was being a young pastor of a church had been established for many years. And there were complications there and difficulties there and exciting things there. But it was just a difficult year. Every part of our family seemed to be touched in some way with pain or suffering. And my story is not unique. 
my guess is that you have, or if you haven't, you will have a season of life similar to that, where you say to yourself, I'm not even going to say it can't get any worse, because I feel like if I utter those words, it will immediately get worse. And everywhere you turn, things just happen. Tragedy, pain, suffering. And in the midst of those kind of moments, in the midst of those kind of times, in the midst of those seasons, it's just natural to want to ask the question, why? Why us? Why now? Why here? In fact, whenever I've done these series, this is about the third or fourth time in my 13 years of ministry, I've done a series where people submit questions. Second time here, always the number one question I've had is why does God allow pain and suffering? Now, it's not necessarily phrased that exact way, but it's that general question. Why? And generally, people are asking that not in a general theological question kind of sense. They are asking it out of a deep emotional, spiritual, physical, financial burden that they are walking through difficulty at that particular moment. It is the universal question. Why does evil even exist? In fact, there have been scholars who have said that the main question that every religion has to answer is why evil? Why pain? Why suffering? One of the things I love about our Christian faith is that it doesn't shy away from that question. In fact, if you read the Bible, it it is throughout the Bible that it acknowledges the reality of sin and evil. It gives explanations for the reality of sin and evil. It gives us understandings of the reality of sin and evil. And every person almost in Scripture that has a significant part of the Scripture goes through pain and suffering in order... To achieve what God calls them to achieve. So it doesn't shy away from that question. In fact in the New Testament when Jesus is talking to his followers. He says to them in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have pain. He says they have hated me so they are going to hate you. It's a reality. It's something that we all come to terms with. We all come to grips with. We all experience. Here's what I'll tell you. If you haven't had a major issue or season of life with difficulty and strife and suffering, then I would say to you, thank the Lord for that and prepare yourself for its coming. Because it will. This summer, uh, Susan and I went to the Southern Baptist Convention and um, uh, they have a pastor's conference before that's just, uh, I've uh, talked to you a little bit about this, but they have Pastor's conference before that's just like a full day of preaching. One preacher right after another. I have about ten preachers in one day. I know some of you are saying that is like the dream vacation right there. It is pretty cool actually. So we went and we were there and I, I was there for a good part of the day. And then at night they, they had these, the, the big time speakers were coming at night. The, the most well known speakers um, uh, were coming that night to speak. And so I was really excited about it and and the first person that was going to speak that night is a guy named Rick Warren. And some of you know Rick Warren. Some of you have different impressions of Rick Warren. Rick Warren is a guy that um, I think a whole lot of, not so much because of the church he's built or the preaching or any of that, but just because of the way he handles adversity in life. And um, 
that night he walked out and, and we all knew, or I knew, and most of the people in that room knew, that Rick Warren had had one of the worst years of his life. Because his son, whom he loved dearly, Matthew, had committed suicide the previous summer. Rick Warren walked out and, and, and honestly, he has done some, he had done some kind of public stuff. I mean, he'd obviously been preaching at his church. He did take like a several month sabbatical or he didn't do anything, but he had come back and talked on some programs and all that. But this is one of the first kind of public forums he's been in and he walked out on stage and we all were waiting. We're, we're listening. This guy that's walked through this difficulty, what's he going to say? How's he going to respond? And the first words out of his mouth were, if you want the blessing of God on your life. If you want God to use you in an unbelievable way, if you want the anointing of God on your family, then you must be willing to suffer. So here's the question I want to answer today. I don't want to answer the question that people ask. Now, we could. I mean, we could spend... 30 or 45 minutes giving you the explanations for the reality of sin in our life. We could talk about the fact that, that the pain and suffering we experience is all directly related back to Adam and Eve and that when the first sin entered into the world, it broke the world as we know it and that the world will never be the same until Christ comes again and sets everything right and that we underestimate the effects of sin on the world in which we live. Our own sin, our other people's sin, and how it is continually breaking down the world in which we are a part of. We could talk about that or we could talk about the enemy that we have that is the enemy of God who is constantly working in our lives and in the the lives of others to lead us away from God or distract us from God's purpose or to bring things into our lives that will derail us from following God as he wishes to. Or we could talk about the terrible decisions that we all make that lead to those suffering and illness and issues and people that come to me sometimes and I have no idea how I was bankrupt. Well, if you wouldn't have spent money on this, this and this and gotten into debt here, here and here, it might have been different. Or I, I don't understand why I had a heart attack. Well, have you watched what you've eaten for the last 30 years? I mean, there are issues that sometimes we make bad decisions and then we ask at the end of the bad decision, why did I get in a consequence of a bad decision that I made? And so there is that issue that sometimes comes with the things that we do. Or we could even talk about the fact that other people making bad decisions sometimes impact us. And so as they make bad decisions, it impacts how we live and it causes suffering for us. And that's part of the sinful fallen world in which we live. Or we could even talk about the fact that God not only sometimes allows suffering and pain in our lives, that God does According to scripture, sometimes send suffering and pain in our lives because of a distinct purpose that he might have. We could talk about all of that. But most people that I know that ask the question, why? An explanation doesn't really help. If somebody you loved deeply dropped dead tomorrow. And you knew exactly everything that went on for that to happen. It doesn't make the pain any less. Most of us say we want an explanation, but we don't really need an explanation. And so the question that I want to answer today is not why. The question I want to answer today is for what purpose? And how do we get through it? 
Because for most of us, what we're really wanting when we say why is how am I going to make it? How am I going to survive? How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to get through this? How is life going to continue? I can't imagine my life without. I can't imagine my life going forward. I can't imagine. What we really want is not an explanation of a detailed understanding of all of the factors that went into getting us to the place that we are. We want to know how can I make it through what I've got? If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we want to look at, I want to look today at how Paul handles adversity, difficulty, crisis. He's writing to a church that he has a strange relationship with. This is 2 Corinthians, although most people think this is the fourth letter he has written to them at least. Because in 1 Corinthians, he talks about a previous letter. So 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, he talks about a letter between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians is not even 3 Corinthians, it's really 4 Corinthians. But in the Bible, we only have two, so we call it, are you here or have I lost you? Second Corinthians, all right? In Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, this is Paul's his introductory stuff. He's just kind of getting into it. He's just helping them with it. And he starts out by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. It, it seems like every week we talk about this word all. Remember, all means all. He's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Let's stop for just a second right there. Paul is starting this out and he's telling us, listen, we, we give praise. Now, there are lots of times Paul gives all kinds of praise. He gives praise in the book of Ephesians for the God who has saved us, who has rescued us, who has stood us in the heavenlies that has put us above. He gives praise in Colossians for the God who is above all, who is supreme all, who is before all, who is in all, and who will be here after all. He gives praise in different passages for different things. Here he gives praise for God's comfort. Now, we're going to answer the question partially of for what reason and how do we get through it right off the bat in this passage. And then I want you to stick with me. We're going to walk through it some more and I'm going to give you some practical stuff. But Paul says, I want to give praise and honor and glory to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us. In all our troubles. And then he gives us a so that. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The first thing that he tells us right off the bat is part of the reason that you and I go through suffering, part of the reason that God allows difficulties, trials, crisis, health issues, financial issues, that those are allowed in our lives, is so that we can use that to comfort someone else who's going through similar things. You see, it's real easy when we're going through difficult stuff to turn inward 
It's real easy when we're going through difficult times to to turn in on ourselves and to say, man, why is this happening to me? What is going on? Why is it happening to my family? I can't believe this is me. I can't believe I never thought that it would happen to me. And it's easy to then begin to get down on ourselves. Nobody else understands what I'm going through. Nobody cares about what's happening to me. Nobody. And all of a sudden we begin to isolate ourselves from others. And as we do, we draw inwardly more and more and more on ourselves. Paul says that we... Receive comfort to give comfort. And another way to say that is we are allowed to go through suffering so that when God comforts us, we can then share that comfort with others that are going through suffering. This comfort that comes from God. Paul then continues. For just as the sufferings we share abundantly of Christ, so also our comfort abounds Through Christ. What he basically says here is, as we share in suffering with Christ. Now, let's remember, God is not exempt from suffering. Right? Some of you are like, I don't know how to answer that question. How do we know God's not exempt from suffering? Because Jesus suffered, right? Did Jesus suffer? Yes. Severely. Majorly. And part of what Paul constantly says is, as we suffer, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And he says this, that as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, that comfort from Christ abounds to us. He's basically saying, if you've never suffered with Christ, you don't know the comfort of Christ. Or, another way to put this, and possibly the most un-American statement you can make, the more you suffer, the better you are. You don't hear that on TV preaching. Right? You hear our culture even says this. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. As you do good, you'll be repaid good. That's karma. That's not Bible. Scripture says sometimes the people that do the best, that act like the God intends for us to act, that do what God intends for us to do, what we discover is we find ourselves in more and more places of suffering. And it is in those moments that we are made more and more aware of Christ. In fact, Joni um, Erickson Tata, who is a, a lady, a, a speaker, somebody that writes uh, about her walk with Christ, tells uh, or says about this, that when we're comfortable We can slide through knowing about Christ or even talking with people about him. But when we go through suffering is the moment we have to know Christ. And then we see this outward understanding of suffering again in verse 6. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and your salvation. Paul's almost saying there, listen, if I'm in jail, that means that's one less cell they have to put you in. If we're distressed, that's so you can preach more openly the gospel. I'm doing this so that you can be free and it's for your salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort so that you'll know, hey, Paul's still doing okay, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand my example. I'm here in the midst of suffering and the reason that I'm going through it is so that when you go through it, you can be comforted. That's quite different than most of us who go inwardly on ourselves. A lot of us, when suffering hits, when difficulty hits, when problems hit, we immediately kind of put this bubble around us and nobody else can, nobody else can share this with me and we, we want to weep, have our pity party for ourselves. Verse 7. 
And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that as you share in our sufferings, you'll share in our comfort. Part of the problem for those of us that are American believers when it comes to suffering and difficulty and illness and all of that is we have a distorted perception of what that means for our Christian walk. We think that somehow suffering, pain, illness is a punishment when Scripture makes it very clear that sometimes it's the prescription to draw us more to be like Christ. As a staff, we just finished reading a book that's been impactful on me. It's called The Insanity of God. It's by a guy named Nick Ripkin, which, as far as we can tell, that's not his real name. It's a guy that was a missionary for many years in places like Somalia where, where being a Christian is not just looked down upon or frowned upon or made fun of in the media. Being a Christian is a, uh, an offense that could get you killed. He tells all these crazy stories. He, he talks about being with some leaders from the churches around this community. In fact, he says they were the only known kind of believers in this area. And he goes in and he has the Lord's Supper with them. He shares it. And he says, I remember thinking this was a special occasion. It was different people from different areas. and It was just a small group and they have the Lord's Supper. And then he tells in the book that just days later, everyone in that room was killed except him. Possibly because they found out about that. And he travels to Eastern Europe and you hear these stories of, of the persecution that happened during the, the Soviet Union. And he travels to different areas of Asia. And the one that really got me was he went to, to China and he was talking with this huge group of Chinese pastors and they were talking about the American system of how you become a pastor. And he's like, well, you go to, you know, you go up in church and you tell your church, I'm going to be a pastor or a minister. And then you go to school, you go to college, and then some people get to go to seminary. And well, that's, that's it. And one of the Chinese pastors said to him, that, that's really great. We wish we could do something like that. He said, for us, prison is our seminary. And he said, what do you mean prison is our seminary? He goes, we don't trust pastors that haven't been to prison yet. He kind of thought about that for a minute. So he started asking, how many, and if, how many of you been? Oh, yeah, yeah, three-year term. I was four. I was there four. Three year, and there's this whole part of the book, and I don't want to ruin the whole book because some of you want to read it, but the reality is most of you won't. It's really good. There's this whole part in the book where these two guys come up and confess before all these pastors that while they were in prison, they weren't as bold as they needed to be for Jesus, and they were asking forgiveness from the rest of their pastors and would be okay if it disqualified them from pastoring churches. Prison is our seminary. You see, in America, we think that suffering means we somehow angered God. In the rest of the world, they see it as God's blessing. Not all the rest of the world, but a good portion of it. Paul saw it as a blessing of God that he got to share in the sufferings. And he says to the Corinthians, my hope for you is that you would suffer more. Because it means that you'll receive more comfort. And you understand Christ better. Verse 8, Paul says, and just in case you're wondering, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. 
And then he says this, we were under great pressure. Well, how much pressure, Paul? Far beyond our ability to endure. Well, what do you mean by that? That we despaired of life itself. Paul says we weren't just in a little bit of pressure. We were under tons of pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Can I just uh, smash a biblical myth for you right now? Anybody heard, ever heard somebody say this? God will never put more on you than you can bear. I mean, have you ever heard that, right? That's baloney. It is not in the Scripture. What is in Scripture is God will never tempt you more than you're able to stand and will give you a way out. What that means is you don't have an excuse when you say, I just couldn't resist. Yes, you could. But if you look through Scripture, God often puts things on people that is more than they can bear. The Bible never says that. It doesn't matter how many times it's shared on Facebook. It doesn't make it true. The Bible says that sometimes God will put more on us than we can bear. And in those moments, the reason he does that is so that we will turn to him and that we will realize our only hope is in him. Listen, some of you have been in a place where you have said, if this is not more than I can bear, I don't want to see. Sometimes God does that. Paul says it's beyond our ability to endure. We despaired of being alive. Then he says this. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And then here's the key. The key to the whole thing. But this happened. What happened? Being despaired for life, feeling like we had the sentence of death, feeling like we didn't have any reason to live at the moment. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. You want the simple answer how you get through? You want the simple answer how you make it through? The simple answer is you rely not on yourself, but on God. Now, we're going to talk about some practical ways to do that in a minute, but that's the answer. And he says, in case you doubt that God can take you through it, this is the God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will do it again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers that many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. When we're going through difficulty, we're going through trial, when we're going through a crisis in our life, the question we need to answer is not why. The question we need to answer is for what purpose and how do I make it through? One of the things that Scripture teaches us is that the sufferings that we have as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that part of the reason the sufferings are here, it uses this phrase in Romans, that they are like labor pains, groanings, looking forward to when God will restore all things. And so for us, we look at what the purpose is. Part of the purpose is to remind us that this is not our home. This is not what we need to be living in. This is not how we were intended to be. And it makes us look forward To that moment when Jesus sets all things right. Man, you know, the older I get, and I'm getting older. Y'all know that, right? 40 is almost here. 
the older I get, the more I groan and long for the return of Jesus and the restoration of all things. What suffering does is it just reminds us of that day. Some of us don't need good reminders. We've got reminders all around us. Some of it's our bank account and that regular email that comes that tells us that we're close to overdraft. For some of us, it's the visits to the nursing home or the hospital visits or the diagnosis that comes or the daily medication. Here's the thing that I really want to kind of guide you to today. Is that when we encounter those kind of moments, when we encounter those kind of issues, when we encounter that kind of suffering, we need to start asking the question, how do I use this for the glory of God? This week as I was preparing, I read an interesting short little thing. I found it online. It's from a pastor that I respect as well named John Piper, who's a pastor up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And and, uh, back in 2011, John Piper was diagnosed with cancer, prostate cancer. And on the eve of his prostate cancer surgery, he wrote a little booklet called Don't Waste Your Cancer. He had written a devotional a few years before called Don't Waste Your Life. And it was about living for the glory and the passion, and the supremacy of God and all things. But on the eve of his prostate cancer surgery, he wrote a booklet called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Only about 15 or 16 pages long. But then he gives ways that you waste your cancer. And it is so fascinating to look at this man on the edge of what could be a, a life altering a life determining surgery and he says that i'm not going to allow myself to waste the opportunity that god has given me in this illness but i'm going to use it to bring praise and honor and glory to him so when illness comes when difficulty comes when tragedy comes in your life i want to give you five quick steps. I want you to write these down if you've got a pen and paper somewhere because if you don't need them today, there's a good chance you're going to need them sometime. If you don't have paper but you've got a pen, you can turn your order of worship over on the back and there's a little spot for notes there. Five things to do when tragedy strikes, when difficulty strikes, when you find yourself in the middle of a crisis. They come out of what Paul talked about in this passage in 2 Corinthians. And the first thing is that when those moments happen, when those decisions come and you're having to walk through it, the first thing is you need to draw close to God. You need to worship Him. If you look throughout Scripture, one of the biggest areas where we see this constant struggle with difficulty, with with illness, with with, uh, suffering is found in the Psalms. And in fact, One-third of the psalms are what they call psalms of lament. And in those, what is happening is David and other psalmists are saying, God, I don't like what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand why they're prospering and we're faltering, why they're doing well. And I'm trying to follow you. And in the midst of trying to follow you, I am seeing nothing but suffering and evil. God, why, why, why? What I love about those psalms is this. There is real emotion in them, and it's genuine, and it may, all of us have walked through those moments when we want to cry out to God, and what it tells us in the Psalms, what we understand through Scripture is God wants us to come to Him in those moments. 
Declare what we're feeling, declare our disgust, and then turn them over to you. What I love about the Psalms of Lament is many of them will have that for the first 8, 10, 15, 20 verses. Lament, crying out in anger to God. But then at the end it almost always turns and the psalmist says, but I will put my hope in you. No matter what's happening, God, I'm coming to you and I want to worship you. I stepped into the sanctuary, and when I stepped into the sanctuary, I got a new perspective, God, and it has changed how I view my situation because it's changed how I view you. God is big enough to handle our why questions. It's okay to ask God why. Jesus asked God why. But it's also in the understanding that, God, I'm going to ask you why, but then I'm going to accept whatever the answer is or that I don't get an answer at all. In my 13 years of pastoring, what I have seen, that crisis moments give us a decision between two things. You can either run from God or you can run to Him. And I have seen many people, unfortunately, that crisis hits, they're committed, they're following, and something happens in their family, something happens in their marriage, something happens in their finances, something happens in their business, and they just run from Him. Over and over again in Scripture, we've seen that the only way or place to run in the midst of crisis is to. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians, we just read, talks about going to God for comfort, going to Him and worshiping Him, putting his trust and hope in Him, that everything he has is in Christ. So you draw close to God. Here's the second thing. You draw close to others. Paul talks about, I, I want you to pray for me, and as you pray for me, we're going to see God do some amazing things, and then we'll be able to show people how God is doing this. But the truth is, when you're going through difficulty, when you're going through a crisis, when you're going through problems, you must draw close to others. Now, let me also say this, you must be very careful of the others to whom you draw close. This is not the time to go to your complaining best friend. This is not the time to go to the yes man that's going to tell you whatever you feel, just go out and do. Yes, you've got every right. You deserve it. People that have been through what you've been through, you deserve to do whatever you want to do. This is not that time. You want to draw close to others who are also pursuing a lifestyle of following Jesus Christ. A small group of people. Sunday school classes here are designed to be that. Maybe you're not involved in a Sunday school class and this would be a time to think about that. Or maybe you are. Maybe you've got a close-knit group of friends that just follow Jesus or attempt to do that and you can depend on one another. It's not really even about words that are said between each other. In fact, one of the things I've discovered in my life, the more difficult the issue, the fewer words that ought to be spoken. Just be there. The third thing is become more like Jesus. Use your pain, use your suffering to become more like Him. C.S. Lewis is the one that said that God whispers in our prosperity and He screams in our pain. There are very few things in life that will bring you to a place where you can grow more in following Jesus than pain. In fact, sometimes the very reason God is allowing pain and suffering into your life is because he is working on something in your life that needs to be changed. Scripture teaches that we are in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, or every day we should become more and more like him. And when suffering comes, difficulty comes, we have to ask, what is this for? 
What do I need to change? What do I need to redo? How do I need to live? How can this make me more like him? Two more things real quickly. Help others that are in need. God will often use your deepest pain to be your biggest ministry. God will often use the thing that he has taken you through that hurts the most, that was the most difficult, to be your biggest ministry to other people. You ever been through something and somebody walks up to you and they say to you, I know exactly how you're feeling. And you look at them and you think, no, you don't. You don't have a clue. Because you haven't been through what I'm going through. And their words, while trying to be nice, end up being like, you don't understand. You don't have a clue. And you don't say that to their face. You say, oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Good. But inside you're thinking, they don't have a clue. Because they've never been through it. On the other hand, have you ever been going through something and somebody walks up to you and you know they've been through it? And they say to you, I know exactly how you're feeling. And all of a sudden you go, you do. There's a difference, right? If you've been around here very long, you know that I've shared quite often that Susan and I went through difficulty having children. Doctors told us we couldn't have any. And Susan and I were very private about that early on because that's kind of a private thing. You don't talk about that a lot. You don't bring that up in normal conversation. But God really convicted us after, even before we had Eli, that God was going to use this in our lives to help others. And it's amazing the number of people that God has brought into our pathway that have struggled with a similar issue and very few people know about it. Now the truth is we could keep that private and hidden and not really talk about it, but we believe that God has said this is something for you to share and to talk about and to help people with. And so when a couple comes to us and says that we're dealing with issues of infertility, we are a couple that can say we understand where you are. Now, when they first see us with four kids, they don't think we understand. But when we explain the story, like we understand, we do. We've been there. And so we used the pain to help others. And here's the last one, is to share your hope. People will rarely... Listen to you more in your discussion of Jesus than when they see you handle pain well. I was talking with a church member this week. He's gone through a terrible time. Difficult family situation. Just struggling with it every day. And they were talking to me and just... They said to me the same thing that countless other church members have said to me over the last 13 years. And that is, I don't have any clue how anybody does this without Jesus. And the truth is, I've experienced that. I've been through that. In those moments, in that year that we were talking about, the one thing that kind of kept us together, that kept us going, was we knew Jesus loved us. We knew Jesus called us here. We knew he was going to take care of us. We knew all of those things. And so what you know gets you through. But sometimes we need to be a little more vocal about the reason that we can make it through. God is calling us in our pain to share who He is. Here's my question to you as we kind of close out today. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've got the perfect life. 
No issues, no problems, no difficulties. Never had anything really bad happen to you. Maybe that's you. God bless you if it is. But if not, can I ask you what it would mean in your life not to waste whatever difficulty you're going through right now? John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And for you, maybe cancer is the issue and you don't want to waste it. Or perhaps for you, it's a different thing. Don't waste being a part of the sandwich generation, taking care of parents and kids. Don't waste your illness. Don't waste your financial difficulty. Don't waste an emotional relationship that's an issue. Don't waste someone walking out on you. Don't waste job changes. Don't waste career problems. What is God intending to do in and through you and through the issues that you have in your own life? Let's pray together.